Football Sunday, the Super Bowl game is dominating our culture today. It's where all the focus is. I mean, it, this is incredible to me. Did you know that one of the cheapest tickets you can get to the Super Bowl is $4,500 right now? The average price of a Super Bowl ticket is $10,800 average price. Isn't that crazy? I mean, some, like, some people, their heart is just turned towards it like, it's got to do it, got to go. Um, our family's not quite that passionate about sports. I'm wearing my Falcons gear here today. Yeah, that's right, one of us, that's all right, that's all right. Um, you know, we, we don't really have any rivals that are like, oh, I can't stand the Falcons because we would have to win games for someone to have a rivalry with us. And that just really doesn't happen with Atlanta's sports team. We wait till the last minute and we lose. Um, I do like some sports, though, and my wife and I have this ongoing um, disagreement. She says she loves to have people over to watch games and things like that. And I say in 15 years of marriage, she has never sat down and watched a game with us when we do that. She loves having the people over, but it really has nothing to do with a game. When we have people over to watch the game, I want to sit and be glued to the TV and watch the game. That's how I enjoy it. I don't know if you're a football fan. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. I'm going to give you a couple ideas of things that you can do during the game if you don't like to watch football. One, you can, you can count the surrender cobras. Have you ever seen those? It's kind of a thing like when something goes wrong, people go like this. And, and the cameramen love to like get the shot of people in shock. And, and it's something that you can actually count in the audience around a game while it happens. It'll, it'll happen. Watch it. You'll never notice before tonight. It, it looks kind of like this. Do we have the, the first one? The, it's like, you know, you, you can just count the cobras all through the game. When something goes wrong for the team, go ahead and go to the next one. Um, Michigan, uh, you can't really see his face too well. It's, we, we always rejoice in the Michigan ones, but the, go to the next one. The, I think it's, yep, at least he has the good hair, the good hair. And the Surrender Cobra, like, it, it can get to all different teams. Go to the next one. Um, oh, poor guy. <laughs> um, it, it's one of those things you can do. My wife, when, when we watch a sports event, she just, you know, she enjoys the people. I enjoy the game. Some people like the little intricacies of watching the different things. My mom always tries to watch the band when it's a college game. There's different ways you can enjoy the game, but really kind of as a starting point and an ending point, um, tonight you're going to be gathered with a bunch of people. Some of them you will not know. Some of them are people that you know closely, but I want you to see this time and this opportunity. I told you a couple months ago, like I, one of my visions for our church in 2020 is that we want to be a church that parties really well. And what I mean by that is when we're with other people, we grab a hold of those opportunities. If there's other people in the same room with you tonight, I don't want you to miss your opportunity to encourage them, to be a source of words that are beneficial to them. Encourage them to attend a church. It doesn't matter if it's Gulfside Church. We want to see them spiritually healthy. I want you to give someone else life from the words that you speak today, if that's as small as just some sort of encouragement or as big as sharing about your hope and faith in Christ. Because these opportunities that we have, they're incredibly meaningful. And so many people are walking through their life in a way that it feels like a struggle. It may not be an outwardly showing struggle, but there's a struggle that's occurring there, and there's a tension that is felt that if God is real, if God is here, how can I be walking through something that's difficult? Because there's a false theology that has somehow crept into our culture that says, you know, God will provide all good things for me, at least things that are at least as good as my expectation or better, 
if I do enough to keep him happy. Like, if I do enough to keep God happy, then I should get the things that I want if there's a God there. And this notion has slipped in, but it's contrary to our experience, and it's also contrary to Scripture. And, and so if they're not studying Scripture, the, the source of truth for them is probably going to be the life that you live and the words that you say. And today the passage that we're going to study, and we're also going to hear from some NFL players and, and through video, and I know that that's going to encourage you, but let's go and bring the passage up for today and keep it on the screen for me for a while. This is a passage that's familiar, but don't miss the important truth in this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, now first, this does not say that God will cause everything to be good for those. Like this says everything, like the good thing, the bad thing, the happy thing, the sad thing. Like I'll get my Dr. Seuss on in explaining this. Like all of the things, all of them, whatever has come into your life, we have bad things, that, destructive things that have come into our life because of our own choices. We have destructive and painful things as part of our experience that were brought into our life from someone else's choice. And sometimes there's just sickness and things and accidents that happen and it's no one's fault, but it's caused injury and difficulty in our life and it's present. All of those things, God can take them and he can use them for good. And there's a key quantifying statement in here for those who love God. I mean, this is a starting point, and this is a truth that's important for you, that, that when we give our heart and our faith over to God, that what He wants to do is He wants to go back and grab a hold of those experiences in your past and begin to show you what healing and redemption in those things look like. Things that you thought you'd never be able to talk about, things that you thought you'd never be able to settle with anyone else, God wants to show you what healing in those areas look like. But I believe that the first step, the foundation to seeing God transform those things, is first getting our heart and our love right with God. And then he begins to work in those areas, and not only that, he begins to give us a purpose and a calling and a mission. And I think so much of that plays out in the realm of how we live around other people, how we impact other people. Because the fact is, we know there's people in our city who are hurting right now. There's people in this church that are hurting right now, and they need encouragement. I believe that God has called us as ambassadors to spread his message to other people. And, and today, we're going to see a couple videos, and I'm normally not like a let's do a sermon through video person, but these are so good, and I think that it's going to help you even see the game tonight a little bit differently, hearing from some of these players. We're going to hear from some of the Chiefs players, some of the 49ers players, some other players that just have stories that, that are powerful, and I'll tell you, they touch on some key heart issues. And so just even if you're not like a video person, try to dial into this because I believe that God's going to use it to encourage your heart. Let's go ahead and play that video. play football and this is a very performance-based relationship that I'm in with this team. And the gospel says that we get to walk into a non-performance-based relationship. And here's Jesus saying, look, I came down, I did all the work for you. All you gotta do is just receive it, abide in me. And even the days you slip up, I'm still here to catch you. He's a great father. You know, I've got three little kids and showing them 
you know, what it means to, to follow Jesus and to be the man in the household that I'm supposed to be. He's left the playbook behind for us to follow and all we have to do is just listen and, and enjoy the ride that he's gonna put us on because he already knows the ending result. I think the biggest thing for me with Christianity and who God is is, is that it's based on his unconditional love and grace. I'm discovering God to be faithful and uh, to be a promise-keeping God. Galatians 6, 9, he says, never grow weary of doing good, for in due time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. So many times the Christian life feels like you're just sowing good things, sowing good things, sowing good things. It's like, man, when am I gonna reap the harvest, right? In that time, you know, the devil's throwing all those bad thoughts in your head. He's saying, oh, God's not really good. God's not really fair. No, God is good. Even if my circumstances aren't good, God is still good. I think life is all about relationships and this relationship with Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. With Jesus, it makes one of those things where no matter what I do, He's still going to love me and that grace, and it's always, it's always enough. Nate Solder is a Pro Bowl tackle who was drafted 17th overall in the 2011 draft. He's earned two Super Bowl rings with the New England Patriots, and he's made a living at protecting quarterbacks like Tom Brady, Eli Manning, and others. Nate is married to Lexi, and they have two wonderful children. But when their first son Hudson was born, a chain of events was set in a motion that would literally change their world. But that's not all. This is their story. found out I was pregnant I, he was at work I think and he um, wasn't home I took a pregnancy test in the morning and it was positive I put it in a like a jewelry box that I just had like laying around the house and like wrapped it up in something and I was like I don't want to open this I'm not into gifts like I don't want to and, and, uh, and she, she's like no no you want to open this one and it was the first pregnancy test and it was positive and I was like what do I do now <laughs> I do remember having one freak out moment because uh, we have a cat and I was like, because I'm reading all these things about how cats can give diseases to pregnant women, all this stuff. So I'm like so nervous. So I'm in there vacuuming at three in the morning, vacuuming the whole, the kitty litter over the floor and like just going nuts. And I was like, I read my Bible. I tried calling people, but it's three in the morning. So I was like, I have no one to talk to. So she's like, Nate, why are you up at three in the morning vacuuming? I, was like, I don't know. I'm so nervous. We were giving Hudson baths, and um, I remember Nate said at one point, like, this feels weird. He has like a weird sort of lump on his left side. So we were friends with the pediatrician. Let's just text her. Let's text uh, Rachel and see what she says. So we go over her house, and, and she's feeling his lump on his left side and feeling sort of the right side of his belly. And, and she's like, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really worry about it. We'll keep an eye on it. She said, I want him to have an ultrasound today. So I was like, okay. I remember like getting in the shower and getting ready to go. And I was just like, started crying in the shower. Cause you just know, I mean, a mother's intuition, you just know it's not good. He was diagnosed with bilateral kidney tumors, which is really what, that is the basis of what we know. Um, 
His doctors have thrown around uh, Wilms tumor, which is pretty common. We were in the hospital for four or five days. It was just an onslaught of different medications, different types of options for how we could treat it. There was probably 10 different doctors who talked to us about it. His kidneys were, they said, were the size of pears in a three-month-old, when they're supposed to be the size of peanuts. So he was on chemotherapy for a full year. His kidneys um, shrunk tremendously. They looked like normal kidneys, but they always still had some spots in them. We were off for a year, and one of the spots started to grow again. So they thought the best course of action was to start chemotherapy again. They shrunk, and if they didn't shrink, they would not grow anymore. After a year of that, he still has tumors in his kidneys. But they're small, and they haven't grown very much. So that's kind of where we're at now. Who knows what we're going to do with that, and surgery might be down the line, or more treatment, or who knows. So, yeah, we take it one day at a time. this sort of time in our lives where we felt like Hudson's situation was sort of stable and, and we started looking outward in ways that we could help or make an impact. I always say if, if Hudson was born in Uganda or Guatemala or Thailand or whatever with his condition, with his kidneys, he, would, he wouldn't make it. Uh, we were able to find Confession International. They introduced us to kind of some of the programs they did, some of the kids, and I think both Lexi and I were thinking we're going to do something big. They get evaluated, they get health records, and then they get Bible lessons. So they, they learn scripture and, and kind of they, they act it out in the way that they treat each other. And then one of the biggest things is too, they have access to school. So they're all their schools paid for and they have access to medical care. So they can go to any hospital and they get all the medical care covered too. our NFL life and we have our compassion commitments and, and then we have our, our kids and our home life and, and all are very different and unique and I think that middle section for us is Jesus and I think that's really what connects it all. God's purposes are being done and it's happening and somehow he's made us a part of his uh, plan and it's led us down this path that we could have never fathomed. I never thought that I would play as long as I have in the NFL. I never could have imagined it as a kid. I certainly never wished that my son had cancer. But then somehow we're sitting in Uganda and the people are cheering because we were able to create these centers. And so God's up to something amazing and it far exceeds anything I've ever done in football. It far exceeds anything I could do. away and um, going to heaven I think it's really you know put me and not only me but my family to a whole nother level of faith and, and believing dove into the Bible more than I ever have just throughout throughout this process because it's really the only place that I can find some peace and really just knowing and reading about heaven and 
because that's I, I know that's where my brother is and, and just knowing without a doubt in my mind that, that I will see him someday and, and that really really is the only thing that really kind of brings me some peace. I'm not going to the Father because every single time it's like, man, I need this, I want this. Like, I spend more time thanking in prayer now um, because I'm just like, man, like I actually just get to be with you and I know it doesn't even end on this side of eternity. I know that this gets to be forever. First eight years of my career uh, was a starter pretty much the whole time. And then uh, last season I got benched. This year I got fired, rehired, fired again, and uh, spent the first five weeks of this season on my couch watching football unemployed. Got a phone call from my agents who, you know, the Chiefs contact my agents and he said, hey, Chiefs want you, let's go. Week 16 got a shot to start, played well. Played well week 17, and um, I'm still playing. You know, I started and played both playoff games, and I'm going to start in the Super Bowl. It's, it's really God's showing off. It's, it's actually amazing. Since he was picked in the first round of the 2004 NFL Draft, Benjamin Watson has had a long career in the NFL. And while Benjamin and his wife, Kirsten, have experienced a lot of success, they've also experienced their share of challenges. Challenges filled with disappointment, hard questions, and loss. This is their story. possibly my last game. Uh, if we win, which hopefully we do, uh, there'll be another game after that, which will be in Atlanta for the Super Bowl. And on that Monday or Tuesday, I started getting pain in my stomach. The next day, I ended up going to uh, the hospital, got a couple CAT scans and gave me some medicine and uh, sent me home. Another doctor looked at my CAT scan and said, I think Benjamin has uh, acute appendicitis. You need to get him to the hospital right now. A dear friend named David, um, came over to the hospital, prayed for me. My family was there and I woke up. That was the first night I slept the whole week. They released me from the hospital. I go back to the facility and, uh, you know, they tell me that, well, you weren't here the first two days of practice, Wednesday and Thursday, so the plan is for you not to play. Crushed. Because in my head, I had this awesome story of, I had appendicitis, God healed me. I came back in the NFC Championship, caught the winning touchdown. <laughs> You know, <laughs> it's gonna be a Christian sensation. That's how my mom was rolling. Late April, early May, started thinking about, you know, maybe, maybe I wanna play again. New England reached out after we made them word I wanted to play and it seemed substantial. Like, it might really be an opportunity to play. So when Benjamin decided to continue to play, then everything kind of shifts. Move the family across the country again. And so the kids are there, the guys are moving the boxes out. It's the memory of walking through the house when there's nothing in there with all the kids. practice that week, 
I'm not activated that first week. Then the next week, things are kind of weird. Um, and I was released. I was cut. I, was, I, I, didn't, I wasn't good enough. We had five kids. And the question we always get is, are you done? And I just didn't have the yes. And then one night I remember him saying, you know, let's, let's go for number six, let's try. And so I felt like we had waited, we had been patient, um, and then we had both heard yes from the Lord. And so to go and, and then get pregnant immediately, I was like, we were supposed to have six. And so the last thing that ever crossed my mind is that we wouldn't have the baby. When it didn't work out, and we found out that we had lost the baby. I remember thinking, God, I thought I was doing what you said. You know, five kids is a lot. We said yes to six. We must have been wrong because surely God wouldn't allow that. And so we got pregnant again. And I said, well, maybe God really does want us to have this sixth baby. We were excited. We told the kids. And then something went wrong again. The baby's not growing and um, there's no heartbeat. I'm just trying to be obedient and I don't understand. And so this time was really rough and we try again in July and then I get pregnant. I look, I'm looking at the lady giving the ultrasound and she makes this weird face. And I say, is everything okay? She's like, yeah, I see something. And so I say, well, is it a baby? Do you see a baby? And she goes, I see two babies. I look over at Benjamin, I see him walking towards the TV screen with his mouth open. And then I look at the screen and I see two, two babies. And I say, you didn't tell me you had twins in your family. Because I don't, I was like, I don't have any twins in my family. I know we have twins. necessarily what I think good is. It's always good, but it might not always be pleasant. The enemy says, if God loved you, wouldn't that be easy? And somewhere along the line, I bought in that lie. Then I have to go back to truth, and I look in the Bible, and I don't see that anywhere. <laughs> His promises are that you are an overcomer that I love you, that I'll never leave you or forsake you. His promises are that I will always provide for your needs according to the riches and glory. The promises are that I loved you so much that I sent my own son to die for you. His promises are that I've already written the book, so I know what's happening when you don't. His promises are eternal life. His promises are that I'll give you beauty for ashes. 
the fact is there's always one love that wins out. And we don't accidentally just slip into loving God, serving God, but there's a decision that has to be made. And no one else can make that decision for you. And we want the promise of God, take all of those things and make them work for good. But that promise is on the foundation of those who love God. And so for you within your own heart, I want to see things go good for you, but the starting place that only you have control of is have you given your heart to God? In a way that your love for Him now has authority and control over other areas of your life. That these other areas have to change and have to fall in line to follow through what God has said is true. Is His love the first love? Because once, once it's there, I mean, that's the starting point. And, and, and I hope you recognize, because it, it comes in like this moment, and it feels like, like this, this pressure, this pulling, that, that God is pulling on your heart, saying, you need to get things right. You need to make a decision. You need to figure this out. You need to say yes to me. That's what that moment feels like. And you will either say yes and, and, and move towards him, or you will reject him by ignoring the moment or just flat out saying no. And I hope you choose to step into that love because it will change your life in ways that you don't even imagine or understand. I know that's how it happened for me. And I've seen it happen for so many other people. And so it starts with that, that point of, do you love God? And then the natural conclusion that when you do give him your heart, what happens next, and this is what happens, he calls you to a purpose. As the passage says, and you can put the screen, the, the verse back up on the screen behind me, that, that we're called to a purpose. This might be a hard sentence for you to say, say out loud, but I want you to work on digesting it because it's true. The fact that you are a part of God's plan for someone else's life. Like God wants to work through you. You are part of God's plan to impact someone else's life. You have a purpose and a calling. You have words of encouragement and a testimony. You have the words of the gospel embedded in your heart and your mind as a follower of Christ. And God desires to use you as though you are an ambassador speaking on his behalf to speak to someone else. Some of you guys have found purpose within serving in the kids' ministry and, and helping raise the kids up in their faith. Some of you guys help as ushers here. You help in all other ways through the city. But even on top of that, God chooses to use you in the life of other people. And some of those opportunities are going to be even tonight. As you gather together at Super Bowl parties, you're going to see, and I believe as a follower of Christ, there's going to be opportunities where you just feel this nudge from the Spirit that says you should encourage that person. You should find a way to share with that person. You, you need to check on that person. I think one of the, the tragedies that we walk through is when we see someone else struggling with something, we don't know what to do, and so we just choose to do nothing. And doing nothing is one of the worst things that we can do. We don't have to have all the answers sometimes, but just coming to them and, and being an ear for them to speak to, being, being the messenger of just some love and some support, and one of the things that I found as well, when we step into those moments where we see someone struggling and, and we don't know what to say, but we step in, but God just sometimes provides words. But the worst thing to do is pass it by. The worst thing is to, to sense that God wants to do something and then just pass that moment by. 
Because the lie that we kind of hear in our head is, well, we have time, we'll get back to that, we'll circle around to it, we've got years to work on that. But we recently got reminded in our culture that we, we have no promise of another day. We think that we have years, but we only have moments, and these moments are fleeting. They pass us by so quickly. And so when we have an opportunity to speak life into someone else's heart, we have to seize that opportunity. When we have an opportunity to fulfill God's calling and his purpose of making his love and his kingdom known to someone else, we have to grab a hold of that opportunity and fulfill that purpose. Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to begin to close this thing out. You know, we, in so much of our culture, and especially, um, you know, the, the realm of professional basketball, we, we were stunned by the tragedy and loss of Kobe Bryant and, and nine people on a helicopter that crashed. And it, I am just a couple years younger than Kobe, and so when I saw him start playing, it was one of the first times that a professional athlete was my age, and so just followed his career and his tenacity and his toughness. I mean, he almost seemed indestructible because he was so just committed to it. He, he stayed in the game for 20 years. And then at the end of it, he said, I'm finally going to give my family the time that they deserve. And unfortunately, his life was cut short. And other basketball players around him said, this was the happiest that we ever saw Kobe when he was just investing in his daughters and in his wife. And there's this sense of, oh, I've got years, I've got decades to make up, I've got decades to do that. And we were reminded, no, there's no promise of another day. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if that opportunity will ever come back around. And it was interesting to watch another basketball player, Kendrick Perkins, started reaching out to Kevin Durant, trying to deal with an issue that they had, that they were just irreconcilable before. I mean, Shaquille O'Neal started reaching out to some guys that he had issues with, and they all just kind of got this glimpse that life is too short to hold on to these things, to miss the opportunities for forgiveness, to miss the opportunities to get it right. Let's put it all to the side, let's deal with it, and let's get things right, because this life is too short. And I know that just within your household that there's pain and there's difficulty, there's struggle right now in this season. This is what I want for you. I want you to experience the love and the joy and the peace that is only found in a right relationship with your Heavenly Father. It's only found by placing your belief and your faith in Jesus Christ. The perfect life that He lived, His death on the cross, His resurrection to give you new life. And when you place your faith there, God begins to take hold of those struggles and He will use them for good as you pursue a calling and a purpose that he has for you. We kind of say it like this around our church. Gulfside Church exists to help people know God, find community, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Church, I hope you feel like you're making a difference. I hope like you, you see the opportunities that God has for you to encourage someone else. I hope you see the opportunities where God has taken past struggles and used them for the good of others. But all those things get started with choice. So church, are you choosing to place your faith in Christ? Are you choosing to follow the purpose that he has for your life? I believe when we step into those spaces, when we get to see God do incredible things in our city, in our household, have to choose to take a step. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that you love us. That when we come to you, you call us adopted children, dearly loved. I thank I think you that you use us as a part of your plan to impact others. And as we have the opportunity to be around other people tonight that might be hurting, that might be struggling, give us the courage to step into that space of encouraging them. Give us the encourage, give us the, the courage to, to suggest trying church again, whether it's Gulfside or any other church around here. Would you use your people to encourage those who are far from you? so that they can experience this love and this joy and this peace that is only found in your name, only found in a right relationship with you. We thank you for what you're doing in this place. Continue to strengthen us as we walk with you. In Jesus' name.